Hey everybody, happy 2022. Welcome to the MLB Pipeline Podcast, first show of the year. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra. No Mayo, no Jonathan Mayo. Jim, I know just hearing the phrase no Mayo makes you happy and it has nothing to do with Jonathan. I've said the phrase no Mayo countless times in my life. So, Jim, uh, well-known hater of Mayo and when I saw the, the mayonnaise bath, in the uh, Duke's mayonnaise bowl, Duke's mayo bowl, I immediately thought of Jim and how disgusted disgusted he would be. And when we logged on to begin our podcast today, he was mid. No, no. Were you mid rant about that, or did I did I bring that up? I think I brought it up. I don't know if I was mid rant when you plugged in, but but I was ranting for sure. But as I said, a if I was a college coach, my team would never participate in the mayo bowl. I, I would aspire that my team wouldn't be bad enough that it would be relegated to the Mayo Bowl. Um, and any players who dumped mayonnaise on me, not that we would be playing in that bowl, would immediately lose their scholarships, even if they were the Heisman Trophy winner. So uh, I, I will never be associated with Duke's Mayo Bowl. Seems fair. So, <laughs> And I just killed a possible sponsor for our podcast, but I'm sorry. The, the, <laughs> goodbye to the Duke's Mayo Pipeline podcast. Thanks, Jim. So... We are going to do a 2022 edition of this podcast. We're going to talk about some predictions for the new year. We are going to talk about some debuts that we're excited about to see in 2022. And we're going to talk about some guys that we think may bounce back or need to bounce back in 2022. And then we'll answer a question in the mailbag. Jim, Sam, happy new year. Do you, do you guys you guys say happy new year. And I know that, you know, this time of year, there's always the question of how long you go saying it. I just don't say it, but I said it now for the sake of the podcast and a warm welcome to you guys, but I I just don't do it. I I say it more. I feel like in response, I'm not the type of person who's going to go out of my way to wish a bunch of people a happy new year necessarily. Um, And, and it's funny because I was, I was just review. I, stumbled on Twitter. I was looking for something else. The Curb Your Enthusiasm clip where Larry David rebukes a woman for wishing him a happy new year two years after the fact, or two day, two weeks after the fact, and says there's, there's a three-day limit. And, and it doesn't have to be a happy new year either, but he thinks there's a three-day. So technically, per Curb Your Enthusiasm, and, no, no, you're, you're right there. This is the third day after. Oh, this counts so, as, okay. So I, so I think you're, I think you're still good today, but after today, no more. It's it's no longer acceptable, at least not to Larry David. That just got it in there. Sam, you... say, maybe we should uh, start planning podcasts around Larry David's schedule when he says it's appropriate to do things. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's start off here by making some predictions, all of which uh, guaranteed to, uh, at least one of the two, guaranteed to come true. Uh we're going to start with a kind of non-prospecty one and one that I think is probably the most difficult considering that uh, there is so much to be determined still at this point in terms of free agents, trades. Um, but you guys are going to pick a, the World Series winner for 2022. Well, and, and since there's eight categories here, uh, is this the standard 25000 So somebody could come out $200,000 richer if they go eight for eight. Is that how this is working? I think that's right. I think we did uh, decide that it's $25,000 per question. Okay. 
I was going to say that was not in the show notes before I started making some of these picks, but yeah, fine. I'll, I'll put up 25,000 per pick. Good That's sport. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Jim, lead us off with this one, your World Series winner for 2022. I am going to go, I'm uh, really going to go out on a limb here. I, you know, as you noted, th- this one's difficult. There's a bunch of free agents who haven't signed. Who knows what teams are going to look like. So I'm just going to go with the team that I think is the most talented despite losing, you know, some free agents. I'm going to go with the Dodgers. I, I know Scherzer's gone. You know, Kershaw hasn't resigned. Who knows how healthy he is. They still have Walker Bueller and Julio Urias at the front of the rotation. They have a bunch of arms on the rise. I think Bobby Miller is going to factor in there. I think they've got the best and deepest lineup in baseball. So I will go with the Dodgers. And I would not be surprised if they have some major free agent moves. And or they have a bunch of attractive prospects to trade. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to I think the roster I'm looking at now is going to be even better by opening day, by the trade deadline. So I will I will go with the Dodgers, but but agree with you that this one. It feels like as much of a dart throw as any of them. Yeah. And looking at uh, Vegas odds, DraftKings odds back from November uh Jim going with the odds on favorite. I didn't even, I didn't, you know, it's funny. I, I did not even think to look at the odds to see which way I should go. Yeah. So. And uh, Sam, I know who you're about to tell us about your pick and uh, you've gone uh, considerably deeper down the line in terms of uh, the Vegas odds here, but give us your pick. Yeah. I mean, mine's much more about projection. I, I definitely thought about going with the Dodgers, um, but when we're looking forward to 2022, I went with the B- Toronto Blue Jays, um, a team that just missed out on the playoffs last year. Uh, but Vlad Guerrero Jr. is another year older. Bo Bichette's another year older. Um, they they made waves this offseason by signing Jose Barrios to a uh, an extension. They signed Kevin Gaussman, adding him to that rotation after he had a, you know, a promising season with the Giants. Um Ryu, who used to be their best pitcher, is now number three. Alec Manoa is their number four after he had a promising rookie year. They have Gabriel Moreno. We'll talk about him more later. Uh, waiting in the wings to kind of mix it up in that catching position that's already kind of deep with Alejandro Kirk, Reese McGuire, and Danny Jansen already there. Um, I think they have some question marks elsewhere on the infield in terms of, you know, they, they did lose Marcus Semien. Are they going to fill that hole? Are they going to try to make a trade or another signing? Uh, to kind of fill his spot in the lineup. But even so, I think getting Vlad Jr. back to MVP level, getting Bobichet another year of maturity, um, adding Moreno to that mix, adding those arms that I mentioned. It, you know, if somebody's going to be in the kind of crapshoot of the playoffs and you you were throwing out there uh, Barrios, Gaussman, and Ryu, and potentially Manoa, if he, if he trumps one of those three in your rotation, I think you got a pretty good shot. So just right now, it, again, if we're throwing darts at the board um, – why not the Jays? That's a fun pick. I like it. it now, if I were awarding $25,000 based on uh, the quality of the picks now and not on how they actually turn out, I would award Sam with the first $25,000 of this exercise. Um, but the other teams at the top of the, uh, the list in terms of the odds uh, from a couple months ago, by the way, Dodgers, Astros, Yankees, White Sox, Braves, and then Blue Jays. All right. Well, let's move on to our next one. Now we're getting a little more prospecty. Uh, let's look ahead to our 2022 Rookies of the Year. 
And I think uh, we'll take one from each league from each of you, Jim. Give us both okay. of yours. Well, okay. so let's go. Let's go league by league. Actually, let's uh, start with the American League and uh, get each pick from you guys. Sure, and you should let Sam go first on some of these too. So, <laughs> but uh, but I will I will take you know the, the American League. We've talked about this on the podcast before. I, I think it's a lot easier to come up with American League candidates. We could come up with five or ten American League candidates as opposed to the National League. You got Adley Rutschman, Julio Rodriguez, Bobby Wood Jr., Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green. That's five of our top seven prospects. And you could go on. And since it's a crowded field, I went with the guy I thought was the best all-around hitter in the group, and that was Spencer Torkelson. It was you know I could see Rutschman. You know, we don't even know what the service time rules are going to be as to when guys are going to call up. But, you know, Rutschman's going to be catching. He's going to have things detracting from his offense because of the defensive responsibilities to catcher. You know, I love Bobby Wood Jr. I think Torkelson makes more consistent hard contact. Um, I think he makes more contact than Riley Green. So I just think he's – I think Torkelson is poised to have the most initial success. I wouldn't necessarily take him – long-term over all those other guys. You know, I think Rodriguez won't necessarily be up as early as the others. I went with Spencer Torkelson, but that's one. I mean, there's at least five guys you could come up with. And that's not even talking about the Tristan Casas's and Shane Boz's and, and on and on and on. There's just so many good American league candidates right now. Yeah. I mean, I I personally went with Bobby Witt Jr. Just because I think the Royals always seem like regardless of what service time considerations are at the time. And again, we'll, we'll see what those are actually going to be after the CBA is ratified, but um, they all always seem to kind of throw caution to the wind in that way and bring guys up earlier than some other teams might. Um, so Bobby Witt Jr. As it stands right now, would seem to be an actual opening day candidate for them. Um, and I think that the Royals could be kind of a sleeper team there in the AL central. And it, that's only going to happen if they bring up Witt and Prado and, I know he doesn't really have a position right now because of Sal Perez, but uh, MJ Melendez. So I, I think Witt's going to get the playing time. He can impact the game in different ways than a Torkelson, than a Rutschman because of that speed factor. Um, whether he's playing short or third base, we'll see. I think he's going to make enough of an impact with the bat and his feet uh, to kind of overcome even that positional difference. But yeah, a lot going for Bobby Witt Jr. As we look out at his AO Rookie of the Year campaign, but... Like Jim said, like you could go six or seven deep on this and you wouldn't be dumb for picking any of them. All right. And then on to the National League where you're going to be dumb for picking anyone. <laughs> Not really, but the, that the, transition. the crowd is the crowd is uh, thinner here in terms of uh, obvious candidates. Jim, who you got? See, you're still not letting Sam go first, which is not very nice of you. But uh, I, I went I went low on our top 100 prospect list, although to be honest, I think this guy's going to rise and I will credit. I don't hate all Mayo, but uh, Jonathan mentioned this guy's a rookie of the year candidate a little while back on a podcast. I'm going to go with Bryson Stott. I just think, I mean, you look at the year he had in the minors, he moved up you know, from high A to triple A and hit at every level. He continued to hit. I swear, you know, my two weeks in the fall league, I don't know about you, Sam, but I think Bryson Stott and Nick Gonzalez were on base three times every game I saw those guys play for Peoria. Um, and I just think he's a guy who can 
you know, I think he, in the Phillies lineup that can kind of be hit or miss and, and could use some on base percentage. And D.D. Gregorius had a terrible year at shortstop. I think Bryson Stott is ready to come up and make an impact on the Phillies and maybe get him over the hump, help him get over the hump and, and into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, I back up what you say about the fall league. I, I, it felt like a running joke those first two weeks that I was there. It was just like, well, Bryson Stott has reached base again. Uh, most of it was with walks during my time, but he really did look like one of the most polished and major league ready guys uh, in that circuit. I'm going to stick in the state of Pennsylvania or the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, excuse me, and uh, go with O'Neill Cruz, who has already seen major league time. He came up for a very brief spell with the pirates at the end of the year, already has a major league home run under his belt. Um, But O'Neill Cruz, the, the thing we've always talked about with him is where is he going to play? And they continue to run him out at shortstop, which is promising because they've always said, like, listen, we think he, he has the chops to do it. And everybody else said, well, he, he's too big. You know, he's too big at six foot seven, seven to play short. Um, there have been bigger shortstops in the past, but six seven is a, an inch or two uh, beyond the pale there. They, they're going to still try him out there. As things stand right now, he's probably their opening day shortstop. Um, the power can certainly play. The arm can certainly play at that spot. I always thought he was going to move out to right field. Even so, I think the bat's good enough right now. Uh, last year, between double-A and triple-A, uh, he finished with 17 homers in 68 games. Uh, Those are the two top levels of the minors. Like I said, he already has a home run in the majors. Uh, I think the power is is going to be his biggest asset at the major league level. Even if they do end up moving him around at some point, I think he's going to make an impact with the bat to, to play heavily in that NL Rookie of the Year race and give the Pirates kind of a face of who that next contender could be after years and years and years of saying, hey, we're rebuilding. Well, they could get their star here in O'Neill Cruz. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because just looking at their projected lineup, right now their their corner outfield options appear to be Anthony Alford, Ben Gamble, and Greg Allen. So even if he is found wanting at shortstop, you know, because of you know how big he is, like there's certainly plenty of opportunity to, to nail down an outfield spot. And, and, and Sam, I don't know if you know our, 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 our backstory on O'Neill Cruz, but Jason used to get very frustrated with me because when he was a Dodgers prospect, I think I wrote about, I wrote him, put him on the list two or three times. Every time I wrote about him, I kept trying to change his height because he kept growing <laughs> and, and Jason thought it was ridiculous, um, which I'm sure, you know, it you was like weekly. Just, yeah. But it was <laughs> like, it's like, Hey, like O'Neill Cruz is six, six now, now he's six, seven. And, and Jason was very frustrated. I'm like, I'm just telling you, he keep like, I, I ask about his size every time I talk to the Dodgers about him. And every time I do, they tell me he's continued to grow. So um, Jason was, was very frustrated by the, the constant growth of O'Neill Cruz when he was, when he was younger. Although, I think we've listed him at six seven since he was eighteen, right? I, I guess he stopped growing at some point. Yeah, I was going to say it seems yeah. to, he finally stopped growing. Maybe he's like Kevin Garnett, and he's really seven feet tall, but he he doesn't want to be listed as a seven footer. But I, I will say, from you know watching him play, I guess it was spring training a couple of years ago, and, and in the fall league, he, he looks like like you get guys who like. Like, for instance, this uh, Brett Wallace always jumps to mind when Brett Wallace was trying to play third base. And I'd ask scouts, like, how's Brett Wallace look? And they'd be like, oh, better than you think. And I'm like, no, no, no. Can he play third? I don't care if he looks like – because I, th- I would think he'd look terrible. And they're like, no, he can't play third. But, like, you watch Neil Cruz play shortstop, 
he looks pretty good as shortstop. I'm not saying he's going to win a Gold Glove, but he moves well. He, I mean, it, it seems hard to believe that a six foot seven guy could have good actions at shortstop. And O'Neill Cruz has good actions at shortstop. I mean, it, it's it's quite remarkable to watch him play short. Yeah, and one thing we should highlight too is that next to him on the infield will be Key Brian Hayes, who is a really gifted uh, defensive third baseman. So if he can have a little bit more range at the hot corner and and kind of overcome even what small misgivings Cruz has at short, I mean that's that's going to work just fine for the Bucks, I think. All right, guys, let's move on to our next question. You're not our you're not going to award your twenty five thousand on on who had the better answer. <laughs> I am going to say that I'm going to say that Sam is most likely to get uh, at least one rookie of the year out of his two picks. I'll take it. I'll take it. But you liked his Blue Jays pick more because it was more inventive. So I'm, I'm, I'm questioning the consistency of your, your, your speculating who will win the $25,000. But that's Follow your heart, Jason. Follow your heart. And now your heart Jim is- I'm down 50,000 already. I, I don't, I'm done. And I'm you, ending my podcasting right, right now. You're going first on this category again, too. L- loser first. This <laughs> <laughs> is the reverse of golf. So, all right. Uh, anyway, but go ahead. Pipeline hitter of the year. Uh, this year's hitter of the year, Anthony Volpe. Uh, kind of. Who nobody would have had coming. Yeah, exactly. Kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, would not have been predicted had we done this last year. Um, I, at least one of these two picks, uh, I would say, would not be uh a surprise on uh, on that level uh whatsoever probably neither one of them really uh but certainly your pick jim jim going going with the dodgers world series winner version of pipeline hitter of the year projection here well no because i think there's risk in picking julio rodriguez because you could say julio rodriguez get his way to the big leagues now i have a proponent going way back to my baseball america days of arguing for adam dunn for minor league player of the year i was unsuccessful and i was saying that i thought his major league performance should be considered like extra credit. I don't know if you guys remember going back to 2001, Adam Dunn hit 32 homers, in 94 minor league games, had an ops of 1100. And yes, I'm looking this up. I'm not remembering this off the top of my head. And then he hit 19 more homers in the big leagues. And, and I thought he should have been minor league play of the year. So I'm, I guess I'm arguing this one that I could see where maybe he's in the minors for two thirds of the season and then comes up for the last 40 games and hits. But I, I just, you know, again, we aren't going to know what the, what the service time considerations are going to be on guys. And I mean, love Julio Rodriguez. He's in that discussion as you know, very best prospect in baseball. And you know, at the same time, he's only 21 years old. Just turned 21 last at the end of December. He's only played 46 games above a ball. So I think he's going to get a, a decent amount of, of minor league time and put up huge numbers like he has everywhere he's gone. And, you know, Seattle's got, you know, you know, maybe they trade Mitch Hanniger, but, you know, they're, they're figuring out, you know, Jared Kelnick's obviously not going anywhere. They got Kyle Lewis. They got Jake Fraley. You know, they've got Taylor Trammell. They, they, they've got outfield options. So I, I think he's going to stay in the minors long enough to just put up monster, monster numbers, you know, like he did last year. I mean, last year he only played about 60% of the season and he hit 347 with 13 homers and 21 steals. I will go Julio Rodriguez, but I I think there's more risk involved with that pick than you are giving me credit for Jason. All right. Yeah. I'm not going to get this $25,000 either. No matter (laughs) who Sam picks. And Sam, your selection for 
2022 pipeline hitter of the year. Yeah, the major leagueness of it all uh, is what scared me away from J Rod because otherwise he would have been my pick. Um, I think one thing we have to consider with him is the reason why he missed a lot of time last year. He was playing in the Olympics. He was playing in a big stage. Um, so I, I think he he has even if it's not le- traditional upper level experience. I I think he has enough to make a first half debut in Seattle. I think they'll figure out that outfield situation. So my pick. Uh, is from the Mets organization. Somebody I don't think we'll see debut, and if he does, it's not going to be until pretty late. Uh, but it's Francisco Alvarez, a uh, catcher from the New York Mets system. One thing that stood out to me about Alvarez last year, he had 22 homers at high A. That's pretty good uh, in only 84 games. But he slugged significantly better away from high A Brooklyn, which is an extreme pitcher's park. He slugged 607 there compared to 463 at home. He had no PS above 1,000 there. His OPS at home is 763. Get him to Binghamton. Get him to Syracuse. Some of these fairer parks uh, for hitters versus pitchers. And I think Alvarez, on top of just another year of maturity, uh, could really explode. I could easily see him hitting 25, 30 homers, uh, having an OPS in that 900, 1,000 range. And you know we're the ones who voted on this. If he does that as a catcher uh, and puts up some of the best offensive numbers in baseball from that position, I, I can see him getting a good chunk of uh, hitter of the year votes. I'm not going to vote for him just to keep the $25,000 away from you. <laughs> All right. For the sake of brevity, I will no longer be awarding $25,000 per category. And and for the sake of not hearing Jim complain when I proclaim Sam the victor of every category. I'm, I'm just going to pre-proclaim yeah. him the victor of all so I would know you're biased because there's one of these categories where I, I, I good-naturally assailed Sam and thought there was a 0.1% chance of his choice happening, but we'll, we haven't gotten right. to that. We'll get to that. We'll get there. Okay, so let's move on to Pipeline Pitcher of the Year for 2022. Sam, go ahead. Yeah, so mine really quickly is Daniel Espino, uh, who right now, most of you probably have him on your radar, but he is the number 92 overall prospect in baseball according to our midseason rankings. Um, he's not necessarily somebody who you would immediately go to the number 92 spot and say, hey, this guy's going to be the pitcher of the year. But I think the stuff is there. Uh, plus, plus fastball, good curveball, good slider. And what I especially like from him last year was the way he improved as the season went on. Uh, he, when somebody has a plus, plus fastball at his age, you start to think, okay, control issues are going to be an issue. And they, they were to begin the year, um, but he actually improved in that after he moved to high A. Lake County. He only walked 16 and 49 innings. He struck out 88 in that time and had a 0.94 whip. So overlooked the 4.04 ERA. Again, another year, another opportunity for him to build innings. He had 91 and two thirds last year. Could see him in that 110 to 120 range, which is more than enough to win these awards uh, these days. He can rack up the strikeouts that I that are essential to winning pitcher of the year. Um, just th- those improvements, especially with the control. If he could pull off something what like Shane Boz did this year with control, I think Espino is certainly going to be in that race uh, in 2022. I like that pick. I like that pick a lot. And one thing you touched on, Sam. I'm awarding you... Sam 25 No, I'm not giving... Actually, I do like his pick almost a little better than mine, although I like my pick too. But I was going to say, um, we're both working and we're, we're beginning the preliminary stages of putting a top 100 prospects list together. And it's crazy <laughs> when you look at pitchers, Last year, I didn't count this up, but the pitchers who are on the current current top 100 list from midseason, so many guys pitch 50 innings or 60 innings. Like there aren't a lot of guys on that list who are equipped to make that jump to 125 innings this year. Um, I, I, I'm taking a guy who has yet to throw a professional pitch, which is probably 
uh, a bit bold, you know, and that's Jack Leiter. He was the best pitcher in college baseball last year. He did pitch 110 innings at Vanderbilt. So I, I think you could get him up around 120 this year. They didn't have him pitch after his debut. He just has a fastball that guys don't hit. He's got a really good curveball. I, I think there's a, there's a solid changeup in there. He didn't need a whole lot in college. You know, he's got to be, you know, a little bit more consistent with the strike throwing. I mean, you could say the same thing as a Spino, um, you know, and, and this will be the longest season he's ever endured. But I, I think Jack Leiter could be a guy who moves very, very quickly through the Rangers system. I, I, I'm not going to say he's going to pitch in Texas this year because, again, we don't know what the service time rules are going to be. We don't know if they're really going to contend, even though they spent a bunch of money on the team. But I think he could be knocking on the door to the big leagues by the end of the season. Quickly, Jim, where do you see him starting the year? If it were me, I would start him in high A. Like, I, like I, I just, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I think he's very advanced. I don't think you need to push him to double A. You could even start him in low A. And if he's there for a month, move him up. Like, you know, but I, I would not start. I, I would go high A to give him a bit of a challenge. Um, and then if he tears it up, I'll promote him after six weeks. How about you? Where, where would you guys start Jack Leiter? Honestly, I was going to say double A for myself. Um, I just think he's, he, given how advanced he is, I know establishing that base layer of success in the pros is, is a big deal, but I, I feel like he also needs that challenge that he's going to get at double A. And if he has a one five ERA after four starts at high A, what has that done for him? Really? Um, I, I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen. You know, he has to do it himself, but I, I think double A is well within his reach. Yeah. I was thinking high A when I, when I asked the question, he um, hasn't pitched in pro ball. That, that, that's why I right, would go high right. A. Like if he debuted a little bit last year, and, and I mean, I think just getting him his feet wet, even if he tears it up for four starts, you, I, I just think it's. I, I don't think he's going to lose his confidence if he gets knocked around in Double A. But it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Yep. All right. So who will join this list of pipeline pitchers of the year going back over the past six years since we started handing out this award? Blake Snell, Tyler Glasnow, John Duplantier. Dylan Cease, Mackenzie Gore, and this year's winner, Grayson Rodriguez. Guys who, just before we started this podcast, did you guys see the uh, video that, that he posted on, on Twitter? I did. Our, the yeah. number one right-handed pitching prospect in baseball kicking a 40-yard field goal. Left-footed. Kicking lefty. Left-footed. Yeah. Which has to make... But I mean, is the left foot really surprising? I mean, I'm left-handed, but I'm right-footed. I mean... Yeah, it's it. I mean, it, it, it's not. It's adds, not like he it, threw the ball ninety-two miles an hour left-handed. I would be curious to see what he could throw left-handed. But he, <laughs> another interesting layer to that is the fact that that has to make him and Adley Rutschman the uh, the best field goal kicking battery mate in in all of baseball. Well, they're the best battery in all of the minor leagues too. Um, well, you're yeah, right. Well, yeah, number one hitting prospect, number one pitching prospect. Uh, 40-yard field goal from Grayson, 63-yard Oregon State High School record from Adley Rutschman. Um, all right. You are listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. We're looking ahead to 2022. Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra making some predictions here. This is a good one. Who will be the number one prospect at the end of the year? Sam. Oh. I'll, yeah, think? I'll take this one because I feel like I have the vanilla answer on on this one. Um, I got away from my Wiley. I mean, there's, there's a degree of difficulty here, though, Sam. Because no, there the is, guy for could, sure. It's like Julio Rodriguez. He could be in the big leagues, perhaps. Right, right. And that's almost what I'm kind of banking on, 
it, my pick is C.J. Abrams before we get too deep into the background. He's our number six overall prospect right now. Um, if you've been following his season at all, you know he suffered multiple leg injuries during the season that stopped his 2021 season short at only 42 games, even though the Padres had pushed him aggressively to double A. So that was interesting. He was starting to pick up a little momentum that got that cut short. Supposed to go to the Arizona Fall League. Didn't end up participating there because of a shoulder concern. Um, really good hitter from the left side. His best attribute by far is his 80 grade speed. Um, he's a good fielder at short. There's some question about what's going to happen with him with Fernando Tatis Jr. someday, but I wouldn't be surprised at all for him to start again at double A this year. It's his age 21 season. He'll still be young for the level move up to triple A halfway through the year because he hits well enough and he has experience at double A and maybe gets, you know, a September cameo, uh, with San Diego as they try to figure out, is he our shortstop? Should we move for Dano Tatis Jr. to center field full-time? How are we going to figure that out? But doesn't officially graduate. And I think if he gets that layer of success and gets that uh, major league experience, that's those are pretty big things to consider when we're making a number one overall pick uh, prospect pick next year. Um, so the reason why he's, he's kind of vanilla is he's number six right now. The five guys we have ahead of him, we all project to make debuts in 2022. Uh, and potentially graduate. So he would kind of be the last guy standing in that top six. But again, I think there's just so much going for CJ Abrams that uh, that's why I'm picking him here and, and keeping it relatively safe anyway. All right. And then, and then, yeah, I was going to say, that's why I did not pick C. I, I decided, I thought because he's such an elite prospect, he was going to work his way to the big leagues. So that's why I didn't pick him. I almost picked, picked Sam, one of your earlier picks, uh, Francisco Alvarez. I, I can see Francisco Alvarez ranking as the number one prospect. And it's weird. I'm looking at our top 100 right now. Does he think he's Fernando Rodney? Because it's like, I don't remember seeing position players where their their caps is sideways. I think he's got the most sideways cap on any headshot of any position player I've ever seen. So I don't know if that, that that's good or bad. But it, it, it's definitely unusual. I I was torn between two shortstops. In my mind, the best prospect is, is I work on a new top 100 prospects list. The best long-term prospect at the start of the season who won't graduate to the big leagues is Marcelo Meyer of the Red Sox. Um you know, who we thought was the best prospect in the draft, but because he, he hasn't even played full season ball. And, and I decided to go with another American League East shortstop. I went with Anthony Volpe. I, I don't think there's any way Anthony Volpe gets to the big leagues this year, at least not enough to, to lose his rookie status. I think the Yankees are going to address shortstop and, and sign a free agent. And I mean, this is a guy who, you know, just had an unbelievable year, you know, among the minor league leaders in, in, in just about every category, 27 homers, 33 steals. You know, I, I think he can wind up having that year again, a very similar year to what Bobby Wood Jr. had. So I, I, I'm going with Anthony Volpe as the number one prospect, and he might be in the running for pipeline hitter of the year, too. Okay, we go from number one prospect at the end of the 2022 year to the number one farm system at the end of the year. And for the first time, you have the same choice. Uh, so I guess we'll award the $25,000 based on who uh, justifies their choice best here. Uh, <laughs> I think we're going to have the same answer. Like, cause it's, yeah, I, I know right. when we looked at that, I'm going to, I'm going to try to jump in first and get the 25 and with it before Sam can, but no, we, we both picked the pirates and, and I, I'm, I, I bet we had the same methodology. I looked at our midseason rankings and I looked at the players where they were ranked um, and, and, 
kind of quite simply looked at, like, hey, who's going to graduate? Like, the Orioles are number one. They're going to lose Rutschman. They're probably going to lose Grayson Rodriguez, among others. You know, that's going to knock them down. The Mariners could lose J-Rod. They could lose, you know, Kirby or Hancock, you know, you know two of their p- better pitching prospects. Um, so they're going to probably get knocked down. The Marlins are going to have, a, you know, some guys graduate as well. And I think the Pirates – Outside of O'Neill Cruz, who, who Sam picked as National League Rookie of the Year, it's a deep system, and the vast majority of their better prospects are still going to, uh, you know, be in there. Like I would, the Cruz might be the only guy they lose, and I, I think they're going to have guys develop, continue to get better, and they're going to add guys via the draft. Um, so I think I, I thought the Pirates were a fairly easy choice. I, I thought it was going to be tougher. And then basically a minute into looking at the teams, I was like, oh, well, the Pirates are, are clearly the choice. Yeah, honestly, I, I, our methodologies were very similar. But I, I honestly started with the 2022 MLB draft order, just seeing like who was going to add some of these premier talents at, at the top of the draft that, I mean, Jim, you put this list together, but it seems like you know the first three, four, five are potential crown jewels of systems moving forward. Um, and I looked at it and I saw the Pirates there picking at four. And then I was thinking like, well, who do the Pirates have? Because the Orioles, like you said, are going to have some graduations. The D-backs aren't quite there yet, even with a number two pick. The Rangers aren't quite there yet, even with a number three pick. Uh, the Pirates are deep. Adding a, a number four pick is going to be huge. Only graduating O'Neill Cruz, uh, as we suspect anyways, unless you know Quinn Priester goes off or Nick Gonzalez, um, once fully healthy, really climbs quickly again. Uh, Henry Davis is going to be there for a full year as the one, one. I, I just think even if they lose somebody, this system is too deep. Uh, it's one of the deeper in, in baseball and it's only going to get deeper through that draft. So yeah, I think, I think the pirates are a pretty safe pick here. And I'd say like, like keep an eye on the diamondbacks who you mentioned, cause I don't, the diamondbacks I think have a really deep system and I don't think they're going to lose anybody significant this year. And as you mentioned, they have the number two pick and the Rangers might, you know, the Rangers probably gonna lose Josh Young. But, and maybe Sam Huff, although Huff's coming back from an injury that limited him at catcher and he could still use some more time in the minors. The Rangers, I think, have one of the deeper systems in baseball, might only lose Josh Young among their elite prospects, and they have the number three pick. So so I know we weren't asked to go deeper than one, but you could see the Diamondbacks and Rangers move up toward the top of that list a year from now. All right, and we opened that the response to that question by uh, Sam did by talking about the draft and talking about the top prospects in the 2022 uh, draft prospects list. And now we want to predict the number one overall draft pick in 2022. Uh, Sam, this is the one that uh, Jim, before we even went on the air, bashed. (laughs) Saying that he thought there was a 0.1% I didn't want to say 0.0, so I gave you 0.1. Which almost makes it sound worse that you wanted to give it 0.0, but you. Well, because you, you never know what could happen. So, right. like, I, I don't think it's impossible because the guy you picked is a very talented player. Like, I'll explain. Well, we'll... all right, Sam, tell us who your pick is. Yeah, let me say who my pick is here. I, I went with Elijah Green, who's number three on MLB Pipeline's 2022 draft rankings as of now. These can always change. We haven't even seen a spring season yet. Who knows what, what's going to happen going forward? But Elijah Green goes back to the time when I was 
um, down in Cary, North Carolina last year, checking out some of these guys. I got to interview Tamar Johnson, had a great time talking to him, loved talking to him. One of my standout quotes of 2021, him saying he wanted to be a Hall of Fame player uh, as he was a teenager, which really stood out to me. But Elijah Green, I, I remember seeing him and seeing the power potential, seeing the athleticism. Uh, and he seemed just like a standout in the field when I saw him. Now, this is based off personal experience, and I know there's some hit tool concerns here. And another thing that Jim's going to bring up is that we have to consider who's making the first overall pick, and that is the Orioles. Like, do the Orioles like Elijah Green enough to take him 1-1? I don't know. But I think just the tools are loud enough there to make him a candidate. And I remember talking to a former major league manager uh, about Elijah Green and what he had seen, and he said, like, he's somebody who you put a lot of your eggs into the basket to try to get him. Um, you want him at 1-1 if you have the opportunity to get it. Now, you know, he doesn't work for the Orioles. He's not speaking for the Orioles. We didn't even know the Orioles had the first overall pick. They may have different priorities. They may get scared away from the hit tool. But I think the other tools are just so loud that I even prefer him maybe a smidge more than Drew Jones myself. But um, I know that's going against the grain right now, and uh, we'll see what happens in the spring. But I, just to be slightly contrarian, I went with Elijah Green. And I will say, I mean, I do think this race for number one, I mean, not that it's ever locked up at this point. I, I do think, but it's wider, wide, more wide open. I was going to say wider opener, which was not going to make sense. More wide open than it usually is at this point. Like there, there, there's, there, I think more candidates, you know, obviously the last, well, all three years, Michael Elias has been in charge of Baltimore. They've taken a college hitter. I don't think that means that they're going to definitely take a college hitter. There are some good ones this year. They've, when they had the number one pick three years ago and they took Ali Rutschman, they, they gave him a, a record bonus the last two years when they've picked number two and number five, they've taken guys who were good players, top 10 players, but they took a discount so they could spread the money around. I, I personally don't believe you can afford to get cute with the number one pick. I think you got to take the guy you think is the best player. I don't think they will get cute. I, I just think if you look at, their MO, while I think Elijah Green has the highest ceiling in the draft, if they go high school hitter, I think they're going to take a more polished hitter. And as Sam said, things can change, but I just I just don't see Elijah Green as loud as the tools are, as high as the ceiling is. There are some swing and miss concerns, and I don't see the Orioles taking a guy, you know, if the draft were today, with swing and miss concerns at number one. That's why I had them taking Termar Johnson, who – yeah, you know, I, I was not part of the podcast last week when you guys talked to tomorrow two weeks ago, pre-Christmas. Um, but he is, you know, I'm sure we'll do the story at some point, but he's the best high school hitter I can ever remember. The, you know, got the way guys talk about him. I mean, talking about favorite quotes. I mean, I love the fact when we, you know, Termar Johnson wants to be a hall of famer and one of my, well, I guess it's a 2021 quote, but I'll be using it throughout 2022 is I had a scout compare Termar Johnson to Vladimir Guerrero Sr.'s bat-to-ball skills with Wade Boggs's mastery of the strike zone, which seems like an insane combination, and to say that about a high school kid. And I just think he's more kind of fits that mold. Not that you draft for need, but, you know, they've drafted a bunch of outfielders recently. I, I could see them going I, – I, I just think Termar Johnson more fits their mold. And you could see an infield of, of Termar Johnson at second and Jordan Westbrook at short. And Gunnar Henderson a third, and that would be a really good infield for a long time. All right. Final question. Who will be the biggest riser among our current top 100 prospects? Now, this is at, this is by the end of 2022. Is that correct? Is that how you guys are answering this? I'm sure it's yeah. going to give us yeah. a 
yes. a sneak peek at uh, where these guys uh, how, you know, might be jumping up in the uh, preseason top 100 list. But uh, let's start it off with Sam here. Yeah, so my, my pick is Luis Matos, who's an outfielder from the San Francisco Giants system. We currently have him at number 77, so that's how he qualifies for this list. Um, I, I'm just a big believer in the bat. We have him at a 60-grade hit tool, a 50 power. I think he could grow into a little bit even more power. He's somebody who hit 15 homers, had 35 doubles in 109 games last year. Seems like a pretty classic candidate to turn some of those doubles into homers as he matures but also didn't strike out very much. He only struck out 61 times in 451 at-bats. Um, so the power being where it is now, the strike zone recognition being where it is now, he stole 21 bases as well. He has above average speed. Um, can't look too much into that because low A rules were a little different to encourage stolen bases last year. But still, he's stolen 42 bases in his first two minor league seasons. The package is kind of there for him to make a significant jump if he can do this over another full season. He, he is a career 332 hitter in the minor leagues. Yes, he's going to be tested at high A, but he's also going to be a year older. He's going to turn 20 uh, on January 28th. I think if the more he puts up these seasons with 300 averages, 20 homers, let's say 15 steals, um, he could easily turn into a top 20, top 30 prospect by the end of the year. Uh, in a system with the Giants right now that is young, it is full of young hitters, promising young hitters, um, but Luis Matos has the potential, I think, to kind of raise to the top there and be right next to Marco Luciano. All right, Jim, wrap us up here with your final prediction. Yeah, I like that pick a lot. I do the Giants. I'm very bullish on Matos. And I, I was torn here. This will shock you guys and our listeners to know that I had multiple options. I wanted to go with this pick. I almost went Nick York, who I think is very similar as a hitter to Luis Matos. I don't think there's as much defensive value, although he plays second base. I think he's got better control of the strike zone. Curious to see how his power develops. He had an amazing year. He's number 96 on the list. But I ultimately went with a guy who I think I think could vault into the top 10 this year. And maybe it's because he looks like... You try not to get overwhelmed by what you saw, see in person, especially you know we're not back to full travel yet. We didn't see as many guys this year. You know we all love going to the fall league and seeing guys, but man, Nick Gonzalez looked so good in the fall league, and he was so hot down the stretch for the Pirates, a high A. Uh, you know I, I, because he was in high A and hasn't played above that level, I don't think he's going to lose his prospect status this year. I, I just think Nick Gonzalez could come out and hit 350 with 25 home runs this year. And even though he's ranked number 62 on our list right now, I think Nick Gonzalez can rank in the top 10 prospects in all of baseball by the end of this year. The, the, the bat, I, I saw him for two weeks. The bat looks so good. It, it lived up to the scattering reports I'd heard of him coming out of the 2020 draft. Um, he was great with wood bats in, in the Cape Cod League um, the, the one summer he played there. So I, 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 I was torn, but I went Nick Gonzalez because I think – we're going to be talking about him as a top 10 prospect by the end of the season. All right. And that does it for our 2022 predictions. Although really we're going to come back and make some more predictions about 2022. We just have, have them kind of grouped differently here, but when we come back, we are going to look ahead and uh, talk about some players, some prospects that we're looking forward to seeing in the big leagues in 2022. That's coming up next on the MLB pipeline podcast.
Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. First show of 2022. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Sam Dykstra. Uh, just got finished making some predictions for the 2022 season, and we're going to continue along the same lines. Um, these aren't necessarily set in stone. We have a story up now where we're, we have one prospect from each team that we're excited to see debut in 2022. Of course, we're predicting that that's going to happen. Um, I think most of these guys uh, are if not locks, uh, fairly certain to see these guys in the big leagues. Uh, we have one for each team, and right now we want to have uh, Jim and Sam talk about uh, one of their, uh, one of the guys from one of their teams each. Uh, Jim, start us off here with your pick, uh, someone you're really excited to see in the big leagues in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd say, not that I'm not excited, but I'd say I'm more curious to see how he does. And that would be Jeremy Pena. You know, it looks like, the Astros probably aren't going to re-sign Carlos Correa. Pena would be their best option, I think, at shortstop, you know, at least of guys who are in the organization right now. You know how free agency will shake out. And just a real interesting progression for him. I mean, when he, when he was playing at Maine in college, you know, he's the son of Geronimo Pena. When he was playing at Maine in college, he was known for his, his defensive prowess, but he, he really did not hit at all with wood bats, two straight summers in the New England and the Cape Cod leagues. And so there was a lot of questions as to how much he was really going to hit. And, you know, he was a, a third round pick, um, didn't do a ton in his debut. And then in, in 2019, his first full season, I mean, he hit 303, you know, hit seven homers. It wasn't a lot of power. He, you know, struggled, hit like 180 in the fall league. So he didn't look great there. So again, you know, he was kind of on the rise. The Astros were really bullish on him. I was a little bit more, okay, I want to see how it plays out. I'd really like to see how he does in 2020. Well, <laughs> we know how that went. We didn't get to see how he did in 2020. And then, so I was like, okay, I'm curious to see how he does in 2021. I'm trying to figure out, is this guy, you know, better than I think he is? Is he as good as the Astros think he is? And he messed up his left wrist. So he, at one point, it looked like he was going to miss the entire year. And he came back and played the last month in AAA and homered 10 times in 30 games. He's had a, a pretty solid summer in the Dominican. Um, I, I still do not know what to make of him offensively. Um, you know, AAA is a very offensive level. You know, it was a small sample size. But, you know, I mean, you have an Astros team that's, once again, going to be thinking, you know, trying to win another World Series this year and a legitimate chance to do that. And they may turn, you know, the, the burden of replacing Carlos Correa may be on Jeremy Pena. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how he handles that and, and see how good he is. Yeah, I mean, I'm always going to be excited for a player from Maine uh, to make his major league <laughs> debut. So I wish I could have written that one up, but yeah, Jeremy Payne. Who was who's the last player for me from, are you talking about the state or the university of, Maine? Uh, I was going to say the university of, because they are a fellow hockey East school and there's not many hockey schools that still have baseball. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I should know that. Wow. This is crazy. Hold on. I gotta do like two seconds of research here. Mark Sweeney in 1995. Well, you had Larry, Mark Sweeney and Larry Thomas both debuted in the summer of 1995, and there's not been a University of Maine player uh, since then. So, wow. There you go. Good for you, Black Bears, having a, a major leaguer on the cusp anyways. We, we can't of course, more yet. players than you're than – you're, you're, and they're in my way indirectly as my son went there, but your, your BU Terriers have not present, pro, produced a baseball player in quite a while. 
Not not since Harry Aganis, but we named a, an entire arena after him, so we'll take that. And they have um, no baseball program for those who, who don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's not that we're. Which that makes bad. it difficult. It makes it difficult a little bit. Um, so my pick is uh, Gabriel Moreno, who I mentioned earlier in the podcast when I was talking about the Blue Jays as my World Series pick. Part of the reason why I believe in the Blue Jays in 2022 is because of just the depths of talent that they have. And Moreno is right up there. I, I think of that catching core that they have right now, again, going to Danny Jansen, Alejandro Kirk, and Reese McGuire. Moreno, I think, has the highest ceiling. He can both hit. He can play the def- uh, defensive position well. One question I have about him is they gave him some looks at third base in the fall league. Is that something they continue? Because that is one of their bigger questions right now is at the third base position um, with Vlad Jr. now being a full-time first baseman. Do they kind of figure out that catching puzzle by giving Moreno more looks at third base? I think the the arm could work there. We'll see about position-wise and, and how he can kind of show off some range. I think he is a little quicker than you might expect from, from a catcher, but um, I, I haven't quite seen it yet in terms of the defensive chops at the hot corner. But either way, uh, this is a guy who was one of the breakout stars of 2021, despite missing several weeks with a fractured thumb. Uh, he had a 373, 441, 651 slash line uh, in 32 games at AA New Hampshire. Got a small taste of AAA last year. Uh, the batted ball data is really, really special. It was even that in 2020 uh, before he was able to show it off uh, in front of crowds this year back in the minor leagues. I think if he was able to play a full season this year, we probably would have seen him helping out Toronto already uh, down the stretch when they needed all hands on deck, he just wasn't healthy enough to make that happen. But now that he is, as he's shown by playing in the fall league and a little bit of winter ball, uh, Gabriel Moreno might be ready from day one. They just need to figure out that depth chart, but uh, would not be surprised to see him again, slugging around 500, putting up uh, impressive exit velos and forcing his way to the majors in April or May. All right. You can check out one prospect from each of the 30 teams that we are excited to see in 2022 in the big leagues. That story is up on MLB.com slash pipeline. Go check that out. Uh, We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to discuss some prospects who we think could bounce back in 22. That's coming up next on the MLB pipeline podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Sam Dykstra. And we continue looking ahead to the 2022 season in this first episode of the year. And uh, right now what we want to do is take a look at a story that William Bohr did where he listed nine prospects who, for various reasons, had an underwhelming 2021 season or didn't live up to lofty expectations and that he thinks are poised to bounce back in 2022. Uh, those players are Zach Thompson, left-handed pitcher of the Cardinals, Corbin Carroll, D-backs outfield prospect, Giants outfield prospect Hunter Bishop, J.J. Blade of the Marlins, Jackson Rutledge, the Nationals number three prospect, right-handed pitcher, Heston Kerstad, Orioles outfield prospect, uh, C.J. Abrams, who we discussed earlier on the podcast, and uh, Asa Lacey, Royals left-handed pitching prospect, and Jason Dominguez of the Yankees. Jim, uh, of those nine guys, shed a little light on uh, J.J. Bleday. 
Yeah, and he's another one. I'm just really curious about what to make of J.J. Bladé because I, I love the pick. He was part of that same draft of a lot of guys we've talked about today, Adley Rutschman, Bobby Witt, Riley Green, C.J. Abrams. You know, Marlins took him with the number four overall pick in 2019. He'd led Vanderbilt to the College World Series title, led the NCAA Division to homers, and was that combination of he hits for average, he hits for a lot of power, he draws walks. And then, you know, granted, you know, 2020 season didn't exist, but it comes out this year's first full season, he hits 212 with 12 homers in double A. It was just shocking how bad his season was. And, you know, he got a little bit better in September, but it wasn't like he got off to a real bad start and then turned it around. I mean, he struggled for most of the year. Now, now in the fall league, he hit really well. He had an ops over a thousand. You can't really read too much into fall league stats because it was a, it's a very offensive league. Usually I think more so than ever this year. I just don't think the pitching was, was what it's usually in the fall league. And it usually isn't as strong as hitting anyway, but yeah, I'm really curious to see what he does in 2022. I mean, the one thing I, I will give him is he, he did control the strike zone pretty well. He, he drew walks. He didn't strike out excessively. Even when he was struggling in double a, you know, I, I talked to him a couple times in Arizona I mean, he was trying to do too much at the plate. And I think as the season got worse, he kept trying to do more and he kind of settled it down. But, you know, the Marlins need outfield help. They need J.J. Plade to be the guy that they thought he was going to be when they took him fourth overall in, in the draft in 2019. And so, you know, the, the Arizona Fall League was an encouraging step. Really interested to see how he does in AAA this year. All right. And Sam? Uh, of those nine players, who you want to talk about here? Yeah, so my pick is is Corbin Carroll. Um, kind of looping back into a point we made earlier about what the state of the Arizona Diamondbacks system is right now, is that it, it is fairly deep, but it is pretty special at the top with outfielders. Um, Alec Thomas had a really solid year this year. Corbin Carroll, there were reports that he was well on his way. You can look at the stats. It was a very small sample at Hillsborough, but even before that, there were reports that he was turning into a special hitter, really making the most of his offensive talents uh, before he underwent season-ending shoulder surgery uh, after only, I believe, seven games. Yeah, seven games at high A Hillsborough. Um, one of the things I love about Corbin Carroll, beyond just the skills, which you know include a plus hit tool, plus plus run, uh, really gifted center fielder. I think it's going to be fascinating to see who ends up in center field long term between him and Alec Thomas there in Arizona. Uh, but the D-backs themselves shared this video a couple months ago on Twitter of Corbin Carroll spent several days in the scout section at the Major League Stadium. You know he couldn't do much physically, but he was around. It's Arizona. You know that he's working out at the minor league facility. Uh, when he can work out, and then he would go to the major league games and just sit with scouts and say, "What are you seeing? What are you, what are you watching in this game? What are you trying to find out about these guys?" And he was basically like a scouting intern for the Diamondbacks while he couldn't play. It just seems like such a great opportunity. I don't know how many guys do that. You don't hear stories like that that often. Um, but in terms of making the most of your time away, and you know, instead of just sitting back and saying, "Well, I can't hit, I can't throw," I'm going to sit this year out and we'll see how it goes in 2022 feels like he took the opportunity to develop the mental side of the game and understand understand the game better uh, from those who have been around for years and years and years. Um, so I'm really excited to see him implement those lessons, uh, likely back at high A this year. But again, he'll only be 21 
for basically the entire season. He's turning 22 in August. Um, all the skills are still there. I still expect him to be a good runner. We'll see how the hit tool plays after the shoulder injury. But uh, a lot to be excited about Corbin Carroll beforehand, and I think because of that experience in the stands, I think that's going to only help him moving forward as well. Yeah, so this list of players, uh, you know, I said going into this, you know, who had underwhelming seasons or didn't live up to lofty expectations, and some of them, you know, just didn't have the 2021 season uh, they had hoped because of injuries, as as is the case here. So it's a uh, different players on this list for different reasons. But uh, that story also up on MLB.com slash pipeline prospects poised to bounce back in 2022. All right. Let's wrap this up by answering a question from the mailbag. This one comes from Calm Days, D-A-Z-E-412, uh, Twitter handle Alex Damon. He asks, what kind of prospect package would you expect from the Brewers if they went after Matt Olson? All right, guys. We, we talked about this uh, before we started recording the podcast, we should have just recorded that conversation. You guys did a, an excellent job of breaking this down. Let's see if you can do it again verbatim. <laughs> well, he will. I guess we'll answer the question, of course. But my my my, my counter question would be: I'll ask you guys: Should the Brewers make a move for Matt Olson? I mean, Matt Olson, obviously, very talented player, but the Brewers don't have a deep farm system. Uh, you know, Sam, you do our Brewers list, but you know it's in the bottom ten in the in the, in the minors. They're, they're building it back up. You know, they have some intriguing guys. You know, I, you know, I, I like Joey Weimer. You know, I think you got your only person of the of us who got to see him in the fall league, Sam, because he got hurt by before I got there. But I mean, Joey Weimer's got all kinds of tools, and Self Frelick was a first round pick in this year's draft, and they've got some super young Latin guys like Hedbert Perez and Jefferson Cuero. We saw a little bit of Aaron Ashby in the big leagues. I don't know if I want to be trading a lot of those guys, you know, to, to, to put together a, a two or three player package to go get medals. I, you know, if, if you give me the option, I might say, you know what, I think I'm going to try to platoon Rowdy Telez and, and Mike Brousseau and see what I get out of first base. And if I need to address it, uh, you know, I, I will at some point during the season, but so that's not a real great answer to the question, but like, I don't think I, I, if I were the, it depends if I'm the A's, I would want some of those guys I just mentioned. If I'm the Brewers, like if I could give up, you know, realistically, you know, Bryce Terang, I, you know, okay. I part Bryce Terang would be, I guess the highest regarded prospect I would want to part with in a deal for Matt Olson if I were the Brewers. So I probably wouldn't be making the trade. Yeah, I mean, to answer the question directly, I think it's going to take at least three of those, let's say, top eight names or so. Um, and a couple of them are going to have to hurt. I would say at least two of them are going to really make you smart if you're a Milwaukee fan. It, it's going to take something like an Ashby and a Weimer plus a third or maybe even a fourth piece to really put that over the line. Matt Olson has two years left before he's a free agent, two arbitration years. Um, and the A's for whatever reason are shedding salary right now and, you know, cutting a guy with two arbitration years left makes sense under that scenario. If that's what you're trying to do. Um, but because he has two years of control, you're going to have to give up something that's, that's not going to be easy. You're not going to be able to just give up a Bryce Strang who used to be a top 100 prospect. We're likely not going to have him in there this time around. Um, or, you know, somebody like a Tyler black, who's just getting going or Joe Gray Jr. who showed it in flashes. It's going to take, again, some, you're going to have to pair an Ashby with a Weimer to really build up an A system that 
is not great itself right now and could certainly use somebody other than Tyler Soderstrom to, to carry some weight on that side. Um, so if I was the Brewers and said, okay, I need to give up two prospects that are going to hurt plus a third and a fourth piece, I might consider it. I certainly would consider it longer than Jim would, it sounds like, just because what the Brewers have right now, they, they're coming off a 95-win season. They just won the NL Central. Uh, I thought they had a better chance of going deep into the playoffs, riding you know, uh, Brandon Woodruff and a Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta and some good defense. Matt Olson would help contribute to that good defense, and he would have the power um, you know, to kind of play next to Christian Yelich at a little bit more than Rowdy Telez would, who I think is a major question. Mark <laughs> Don't be knocking first. Rowdy Telez. Come on. I, I like Rowdy Telez no, as a person. Well, you know, no, I get what you're saying. Days. Yeah. I mean, well, here, let's do this. You, you be David Stearns and I'll be David Forst. And so I'm going to come to you and say, if you want Matt Olson, I want Joey Weimer. You have to give me one of Aaron Ashby and Ethan Small. And you have to give me one of Hedbert Perez or Jefferson Cuero. Are, are, are you doing that deal if you're David Stern? That, that, that's what I'm asking for. I th- I think I could do Weimer, Small, and Cuero. Um, I hate to give up Weimer. I hate to give up Small. But I think both of those guys, Weimer, as great as his offensive improvements were last year, we still haven't seen him above double A. Uh, his swing is still a little too wild for me. He could end up being a 220 guy at some point. Ethan Small... I love the invisible, but like you need a little bit more than that at some point. Um, he doesn't really have a true plus pitch, I don't think. And Cuero is just so young; he's nineteen. I think I can live with it if Matt Olson is going to be what gets me over the hump and holds off the Cardinals, potentially holds off the Cubs if the Cubs turn into buyers this year. Um, do you think, I would consider um, it. Do you think the A? But like, so this so that would be like like the minimum of what I want from the Brewers if I were the A's. But then, I mean, I guess looking at this too. Don't you think the A's could get a better package from somebody else? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that we're negotiating against ourselves in this scenario. Uh, they very easily could. Yes. Um, if I'm the Brewers, I, I aggressively push it. But I, I, I wouldn't give up a Weimer and an Ashby myself. It might That might be end of what it's going to take. But like, yeah. there are deep I just think like the Yankees could come in and guys. trump that offer if they wanted to. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the Yankees could come in with... Peraza and Luis Gill or something like that, and that would knock out what anything the Brewers could. I don't, I don't know. There yeah. are there are other teams that could beat this, but if you're the Brewers, that's that's pretty much my limit. Yep. Thanks very much, Alex, for sending in that question. Thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this first MLB Pipeline podcast of the 2022 year. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.